This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 13 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today is our recap of Will Wheaton. Will the talk show host producer thing. Yeah, where we're going to be looking at both of his talk show hosting, producing gigs. Things along, along those lines. Right. And specifically those lines and not other lines because we'd be here forever. Right, exactly. That's the thing about Will Wheaton. He's a renaissance man. He's he's actually annoyingly done too many things. Yeah. He, it would have been nice if he just stuck to one deal. Yeah. I guess uh, being able to travel to other planes of existence sort of opens up a lot of options for you. But how do you pack for that? I don't know. But uh, Aren't you curious about that? Mm-hmm. I want to know what he packs. Mm-hmm. Regardless, he's done two of these talk show hosting producing things, and the first of which is Tabletop, yeah, which was the series where he, or is the series where he um, plays board games mm-hmm. with three other people, usually celebrities, sometimes friends, sometimes both. I meant to bring this up on the tabletop episode, but I don't think we're supposed to be calling them board games. What are we supposed to be calling them? I think we're supposed to call them tabletop games. Because they don't all involve boards. Okay. All right. I'm not going to do that. Just saying. I recognize that there's a discrepancy. Well, regardless. What did you think about tabletop? Um, I, I mean, I've, I've been watching tabletop for a while. It started not too long ago, but it very quickly became a thing that I... Uh, I checked up on on a regular basis. And uh, what do you think about the show itself? Uh, I think it's I, I think it's really cool. I lo- I love watching these people play these games. I love the, seeing games I haven't played before, and I uh, I like seeing the the mechanics. I'm a big fan of like game logic, game design, and the artistry of the games. And uh, the guests that he brings on are very enjoyable to watch, interact. Sometimes they're like you know really impressive that they're there and having fun playing a game and sometimes they're just really funny likable dynamic people i think that we should play board games more often i think that we should have and by oh, more often Mike, i mean they're tabletop all. games i think that we should play tabletop games <laughs> more often. i think that we should have a game night okay you know um that's fine like i mean like i'm i'm really into games but like i i actually don't play as much of them as I would like and like expect to. I actually memorized the rules of Dungeons and Dragons before I ever played a game. Yeah, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, well, maybe we should start uh, tabletop gaming night. Maybe it's something that we could do like once a month. Uh, we could play that Battlestar Galactica game that that I've been talking about forever. Yeah, I know you still you, that. I've read that game. I've read the details in that game. It does not sound like a great game. Oh, well, it's Battlestar Galactica. You know, it's cool. Right. So say we all. 
No. Um, <laughs> that Star Trek Catan game apparently is on sale at Target for like 35 bucks. Yeah, I have played Settlers of Catan, and I um, some people call it Catan. I don't know which one is correct. I call it Catan because that's how I first heard it. But I like Settlers of Catan quite a bit. Uh, I have not played the Star Trek version, but I've seen it played. And somehow it actually was less relatable in that context. Hmm. I don't exactly know why. But, like, it, it was... Settlers of Catan is a game that feels very intuitive and natural. And Star Trek Catan feels kind of strangely removed. How about Monopoly? Monopoly is barely a game. It's not Monopoly barely a game. is basically is like a dice simulation. I, I've I've read the Monopoly strategy guide, which was written by the world <laughs> champion of Monopoly. Yes, that's Very totally true. There's yeah. to, there is absolute resource management in Monopoly. There is not a lot. We could have like a Monopoly tournament because you know they there's like a speed version and stuff like that. Yeah, there's a version where you're on speed. Yeah. It could be fun. Clue. Clue's a good one, too. Okay. Monopoly and Clue are not super great games. They're pretty great. No. Clue's, like, Clue is not a mystery. Like, Clue is process of elimination gameplay. It's still fun. No. Both of these games involve, like, rest very heavily on the outcome of dice rolls. Like if if the, like the games largely are determined like who wins is largely determined by the dice, that makes a huge difference. And when a game relies that strongly on a completely random component, then what's the point of strategy? Then why do you even need a person involved? Why don't we just like set up a computer to run the dice and see who wins? No, because it's not just that. You know, there is a strategic component to these things as well. Not, you know, not strong enough to make it. There's a luck really component engaging. too with the dice rolls. But I mean, like with Monopoly, like the dice rolls are so fast and furious that I think at some point you They're reach Tokyo a, drifting. Yeah, you reach a level of like uh, statistical significance in there where the dice rolls don't really matter compared to your ability as a player. You know, it's kind of like playing poker or something like that i think you're crazy there is there are not that many choices in it like basically your your main choice in the early part of the game is to buy or to not buy and in the later part of the game your outcome is determined almost exclusively by the dice rolls of other players i disagree with that but whatever you know we, we can have this debate later on maybe while we're playing klingon Monopoly, or maybe, or we any could play, game that isn't Monopoly. We, we could play the uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation video board game. I think it would be fun in order for in order to prove my point. Would be like to us have us play a game of Monopoly, and also two players entirely determined by randomness. Two fictional players would be Mike, Max, Blue, and Green. Okay, and Blue and Green are players that are that, that <laughs> their, their choices are entirely determined by random numbers. All right, and and I, I would say that we would probably win. Most of the time, but every once in a while they would win. Probably one out of four times, the random player would win. Because there's not that much to Monopoly. All right. If you say so, I disagree, but whatever. For me personally, I did enjoy this show, although I think uh, there's a lot of, you know, sort of like um, inside baseball going on, you know, and if you're not familiar with the game, or not familiar with gaming in general, then I think you're sort of uh, left out in a sense. And um, 
the while the guests do do help it, I I think that that's kind of a crapshoot as well, uh, because like we were saying on on the episode, you know, there are times where you might get a, a guest who, on paper, seems really solid, but when you get them in the room, if they're having an off day or whatever, or if they're not gelling with the other people in the room, it can uh, not work as well as you might hope. Yeah, I, I mean, I sort of feel the exact opposite about that. Like, I want them to not work super well. I want to see them off. I mean, you want to see, like, a, a nice little character study, in a sense. No, no. I don't want to see them nailing it. Like, I don't really care about somebody being particularly entertaining or exciting. I want to just hear them beat them. I mean, I see the uh, the appeal of that, for sure. You know, I mean, that's why... I, I sort of like unfiltered, let's say, behind the scenes stuff on, on uh, the making of movies or whatever is is to get a chance to see the artist, you know, at rest, you know. But when, even then, when, it's still edited. I want it unedited. Okay, yeah, and and that's fine, you know. And, and that component to it is is interesting. Whether or not it makes for compelling television, I mean. It's okay, but I don't think it can sustain its, like, two-and-a-half-hour runtime for, like, the unedited version, for example, you know. Um, But it's still interesting, and it's not bad. It's just not tremendously great. So, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think that if you turn on a thing, like, that's two-and-a-half hours long, Mm -hmm. and it's people playing a game... Yeah, like you're you're doing that so that at some point you forget that you're watching it. Like you just eventually just become part of the room. Yeah, that's that's what I like about it. I mean, it's cool that that exists. At the same time, I'd never watch it. Okay. Um, And and that's kind of how I feel about tabletop on the whole. It's it's an intriguing concept, and they are doing the the best job they possibly can with that concept. Um, Whether or not it's a strong enough concept to sustain an entire series that I'm not positive on. There was there were a series of podcasts that Penny Arcade did a bunch of years ago where they played D&D, and Will Wheaton was in a few of them. And they were audio only, and they were amazing. Yeah. And uh, if Tabletop, like, did, like, one of those for every one of their sets of episodes, one of their seasons, mm-hmm. uh, I would be all over that. D&D is filled with creativity and uh, there are a lot of different angles for interesting content. Yeah. And uh, I would be very into that. Even even if it isn't necessarily D&D, but something along those lines, like a very creative like game environment. You know, even like a well-run hero quest game can be on that level. Mm-hmm. So I would be into that. But a part of that show is playing new games. Yeah. And... Some of the games aren't like super new, but they're new for the show. So, like, there's this sort of a, a, a give and take there. And uh, every once in a while, Will Wheaton and the guests think a game is super amazing, like Formula D. I just find it so boring to watch. Well, let's move on to his second series, which is the Will Wheaton Project. Again, this is a series which just began airing a couple months ago. Uh, they're still in the middle of season one. And as he describes it, it is. Talk soup for geeks. Yes, a fairly accurate description. It is. I still find it weird. I don't. I, 
I haven't seen Talk Soup since the 90s. Yeah. Talk Soup in the 90s was, that was my thing. Like when I was uh, a senior in high school, we had cable in the TV studio, which is where I spent, uh, I think, four periods of my nine-period day because I had late arrival, early dismissal. Mm -hmm. Then I was uh, a, um, a teacher's assistant, and I took the actual class, and then I ate my lunch up there. So with VCRs and cable, I would spend most of my time watching the X-Files, but... I was just going to ask, because I've heard you tell me yes. the story this before, and, and usually it ends up with, like, I watched the entire run of the X-Files. But during the actual class mm-hmm. itself, that was when Talk Soup was airing on Comedy Central. So What? What? Or uh, E, sorry. Okay. So while we were supposed to be working in class, I was sitting in Master Control watching Talk Soup. Yeah, Master Control program. And it was very fun. And this is even more fun because it's for shows which I theoretically am actually interested in or maybe watch occasionally. You know, I don't, I don't watch much Jerry Springer, okay? Okay. I find it funny when they show clips with, like, people on Jerry Springer fighting and pulling each other's hair out. Wait, is Jerry Springer still a thing? I don't know. But it was in the 90s. Yeah. And now, you know, seeing clips from Game of Thrones or Leftovers and that kind of thing, it's it's amusing. Especially when you sort of know that, like, this stuff is supposed to be taken seriously. And since I haven't seen most of it, I don't really... There's times where I'm like, is this edited in a funny way? Or is this literally what you see on the the episode? Because it's hilarious in this context. I like it. Sort of, uh, so far, on, on the Little Bean Project, I would say that's about half and half. Yeah. and uh, I actually do watch almost all of these shows. Like, the only, like, there are, like, maybe one or two shows in this thing that I, that I don't watch. But they are shows that I did at some point watch. Does the Will Wheaton Project change your perspective on those shows? No. Um, there, there are times on the Will Wheaton Project where he's, like, I think... Um, excessively generous towards these shows. Do you feel that watching these shows and then following them up with the Wheel Wheaton Project um, enhances the shows that you just watched by um, sort of giving you that different perspective? No, but I mean, it might just be me. I don't... Or maybe maybe the fact that that you have sort of like a an instant commentary for you to sort of uh, hear, you know, someone else's perspective on, on that thing? Not exactly. Like, like there there were like maybe like four or five instances so far on the Will Wheaton Project where I thought, I'm glad that somebody else is noticing how stupid that is. Have you ever seen something on the Will Wheaton Project and been like, I need to check out that show now? No, but that's because I've already I'm already pretty deep into most of them. Like if like the only show that like on the Wheelbean Project that, that I am not watching, that definitely not watching, is Salem. Okay. And it's because I cut that show off with like aggression because it was very, very silly. I uh I felt embarrassed watching it. So I, I couldn't deal with it. 
I'm always surprised by seeing, you know, some of the the things which actually are on cable, which do exist as shows. I mean, they did one sort of uh, weird reality show where it's like alien encounters and people like, you know, doing like reenactments of yeah. their encounters with aliens. And like this guy is running around like his cabin in the woods with a shotgun trying to shoot this alien who looks really, really um, funny and adorable in a very, very terrible CGI kind of way. And I'm like, wow. I feel like winking to the audience, but there isn't one here. That's a that's a, a thing that exists, you know? I can't believe that. Why is that, not, why is that surprising? <laughs> I guess I just, I'm not as, you know, I don't do that thing that you would do in the 90s when you would channel surf. I don't channel surf, you know? Oh, no, I don't. But if you were to channel surf. I don't surf, even know, I... I you would find It would some, take me like an hour and a half in order to set up my system so that I could theoretically channel surf. You would find some crazy stuff. But like, I, I mean, like, I, 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 I try to find crazy stuff. I try to find weird stuff on a regular basis. So like, have you seen this Bigfoot show where they're, I think it's called Finding Bigfoot, where they're always finding Bigfoot? I, I haven't watched it, but I'm aware of it. I've seen clips of it. Yeah. Before the Will Wheaton Project. Yeah. Like, I want to see that alien show. Uh-huh. There's not one. There's there are a lot of alien abduction shows. But this one in particular looked pretty great. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. I mean like I've I, I mean wow, there's there's so much out there. Like I'm I'm waiting until like the Will Wheaton project deals with um ancient aliens. Yeah. In depth because that's a fantastically funny series. Yeah, the Will Wheaton project is opening up my eyes to new possibilities. Um, and like uh, the traveler did to Wesley, kind of yes it's, ex- yes, it's basically the same thing. Will Wheaton is basically the traveler for me when it comes to uh, basic cable. Is it possible that Will Wheaton was always the traveler? Mm-hmm. And at mm-hmm. some point, he goes back in time and then plays that character. Yeah. Okay. And on the whole, I do enjoy the the Will Wheaton project quite a bit. Uh, it's not appointment television for me. I don't feel like I need to watch every episode in order, and that there can't be any gaps in my my viewing um, of the series. But uh, I do find it very fun to sort of turn on and watch uh, passively, passive aggressively. No, just passively. Oh, now and again. Um, what about you? Um, like I said, for the time being, I'm going to be watching this show. Uh, I don't know how long that'll last because I don't really know how long my watching of any non-scripted show will go. Uh, but I'm still watching, like, Will Whedon and Chris Hardwick's shows. You know, like, I, I, I'm excited that there's going to be more Falling Skies. Not because I'm a super big Falling Skies fan, but because I love that there's a talk show about it. Only one more season, though. Yeah, I mean, whatever. You know, you, you take what you can get. And uh, but like, I I'm into that. I'm into those those things. And um, it, there is something sort of strangely weird about how how friendly Will Wheaton and Chris Hardwick are because they are in some weird ways like interchangeable in my brain. Yeah, like both do similar things, and I like them both far more than I should based on how much I know about them. Okay, so between the two. Tabletop and Wheel Wheaton Project. Do you uh, feel like one is better than the other? Is there one that you prefer? I I would say I don't know. I don't know if one is better than the other one, but I prefer Tabletop. 
Okay. And basically, for all of the reasons that you don't. Like, <laughs> like I mean, I like that it's awkward. I like that it isn't super tight. I like that it isn't. No, I mean the the well awkward together. <laughs> like the the awkwardness and the and the looseness of it is fine. I think the problem is that at times that sort of falls into the uh, the boring department. You know what I mean? The boring department? Yes. So, whereas I don't see Will Wheaton Project falling into the boring department because it's so fast and, and just little snippets of things here and there, and if one thing doesn't work for you, then you've immediately moved on to the next thing. And I think with the Will Wheaton Project, while there may be things in there which are terrible, there's also things in there which are really funny and I think that if you were to look at all of the Will Wheaton Project on the whole, you would find that, uh, statistically speaking, it ends up in the good category. You know what I mean? Anyway. So there's a boring department and a good category. There's other things, too. I mean, like to me, like the boring department is more, more enticing than the, um, the entertaining warehouse? That's weird. Yeah. Because um, the boring department has a much wider selection of books. Perhaps. Perhaps. So, yeah. So, I would pick the Will Wheaton Project if I had to pick one. But, I mean, I think that both of them are decent. Decent. Neither of them blew me away, but neither of them were the worst thing ever either. They're light. I actually think every once in a while, tabletop, like when I first saw Tabletop, it actually blew me away. I was yeah. impressed by that quite a bit. I'm still impressed by it. And not so much because of what they do, but just because like it's, it is what it is. And it's not compromising on that. Mm-hmm. And I have a lot of respect for that. All right. So now Will Wheaton has done a number of other things throughout his career. Uh, and I'm sure that you're probably a lot more familiar with them than I am. Sure. Die Hard in a Private School. Uh-huh. I haven't um, seen that. Uh, that one where he played Stephen King. I've seen that one, Stand By Me. Yeah. Um, I watched that when I was probably right around his age, maybe a little bit younger. And I, I liked it. And he's he's made a number of uh, appearances in other movies and stuff like that. Uh, but he's done a lot in terms of the internet. I do follow him on Twitter. I find him to be entertaining. I like the fact that he's a, a big hockey fan. Um, I can kind of get behind that. Um, but what about like books and stuff like that? Have you read any of his books? Um, yeah, I've, I've read two of his books. Yeah. Which ones? Um, um, just a geek. And, um, the one that he, he wrote right before that one, the first one, dancing barefoot. Mm-hmm. That one, I don't remember. <laughs> well, <laughs> what about, cause just- I read that like 10 years ago. What about just a geek? How was that? Um, I read that basically out of curiosity because I wanted to see him convince me that he was actually a geek. Mm-hmm. Did he convince you? He did, but I read it like with it was sort of I I read it like I bought it out of like suspicion. Sure, I mean we were talking about that with tabletop. Yeah, you but know? like I like like about halfway through I was like, all right, I guess I believe you. You were like, but like I was, I, there was no reason for me to be that suspicious of him. And it was just because like, I, I knew that the moment I saw him online, I was super excited about it. And when he said, I'm a geek, I thought, no, well, because I was playing into that bizarre, like club nonsense thing that gets, makes people do bizarre kind of, you know, we're a couple exclusionary. Of, yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, he is definitely, you know, a Star Trek fan and, and a Star Wars fan and all that stuff, which is cool. Mm-hmm. And and just to, to sort of cap this discussion off, you know, your feelings about uh, his work on Star Trek as Wesley Crusher, primarily. I in the first episode, I love Wesley Crusher. And when people would criticize Wesley Crusher, I would say that you are wrong about the show. And if you're going to criticize a character for not belonging there... Honestly, I think it also kind of applies to Riker. A lot. Hmm. I don't know about that. Did you hear this whole thing? I don't know whether or not he's doing this. I guess by the time this episode comes out, we'll know. But he has been on Twitter talking about... (laughs) He's going to San Diego Comic-Con, obviously, right? And he has been struck with uh, the idea to cosplay as Commander Riker. Yeah, I'm familiar with this. That would be awesome. I don't know what <laughs> he's thinking. He's thinking it would be awesome. No. And he's right in thinking he's that. He's thinking that it will be funny. It, it, and it will it be absolutely awesome because it will, will be, be funny. funny. Yes. But I don't think that he's realized how crazy those people are. <laughs> Which people? The people who are reading that. The people who are talking about it right now. If he does this... It will not be over for years. It'll be the best. It will be a meme the likes of which he has never participated in before. It would be the best. And then maybe next year he could get Jonathan Frakes to go as Wesley. That's adult Wesley. An amazingly <laughs> terrible idea. It's the All best of idea. The, I I would like to see him wear the exact same clothes that adult Wesley is wearing yeah. in that episode. Yeah, yeah. Because that would be hilarious. Mm-hmm. Because that would make Photoshopping that much easier. <laughs> it would be great. Maybe it'll happen. Who knows? I'm sure that if he were to say to a Novos, hey, could you put me together a, a Will Riker costume? They'd be like, yes, here. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I guess that's pretty much it for, for Will Wheaton. Any final thoughts? On Will Wheaton as a television show host and uh, producer. Uh, I I don't think that we're even close to the end of um, this this particular thing. Uh, I think there's actually going to be a lot more things along these lines. And Will Wheaton is definitely a a positive force pushing these things in the right direction. I mean, we could easily lose any sort of quality in this media expansion. But uh, apparently people are sort of following the right leads, and uh, he's one of them. I agree. And I do like how he's malleable enough to sort of change with the medium, you know? He is sort of a huge presence in geek culture, and he's willing to modify himself to become whatever uh, what he's doing calls for, you know? Oh, I don't think that... Whether, I don't, it's, I don't whether think... it's writing or blogging or even on these two shows in particular, you know, he's producing and hosting essentially talk shows. But he's they, they, they both have very different formats and his uh, performance, for lack of a better word, is very different because of the shows. 
Sure, but I don't think I don't think there's anything particularly strange about that. I mean, that's, I don't think it's strange. I just think that it, it shows a. Uh, well, I don't think that he's being overly like flexible or malleable. I think he's just he's doing what feels right. He's doing what feels right, but there's a lot of people who you know are locked into doing that one thing. You know, I think yeah, I think that that Will Wheaton benefits essentially from people liking him as him. Right. Like like if he. If like this this particular career path like launched immediately after next gen, it probably wouldn't have worked because people would be yeah. freaked out by it. He's not even though he was an actor in the eighties and the nineties. Yeah, he's not still trying to be an actor now. He's trying to be himself, and he's well, realized he, that that's you know even as an he, actor he's a lot better at being himself than he is at being other people. Essentially, you well, know even I mean? as an actor, he 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 still kind of plays a version of himself. Yeah, and. At times, I mean, they everyone are, does. Like his his Big Bang Theory episodes. Like I am not a fan of that show, but I watch the episodes that he's on. Yeah, because he's actually really funny in that role, mm-hmm. and uh, it's pretty exciting. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been fun talking about Will Wheaton, but that's not all that we're talking about this week on Trek FM. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, you're 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 dealing with people who are, you know, stupid. I mean, you know, <laughs> s- stupid and and uh, just so clouded with bigotry and stuff like that that it's just like, well, what can you say to them? Earl Grey. Oh, that's right, because there was like a an engineer lady. Yeah. I think I think Jordy. She's, she's basically maybe? Ariel, and she wants more. She wants to see where the wait. Does she have are. some thingamabobs? The orb. I think that's the thing that Casey does is he he's able to take what the writers gave us and portray a man who is going to do a 180, and you're gonna mm-hmm. believe it. The ready room. In watching it again today, preparing for this, I was appreciative of the fact that Wesley was there, going, "Gee whiz!" To the journey. I did like that we got to see some genes in Enterprise. But that makes sense. I mean, it's yeah. kind of bridging the gap between 24th century and now. I don't want to see Captain Janeway in jeans. Because you know they'd be mom jeans, right? Commentary, Trek stars. I think that the term talk soup for geeks is actually very descriptive, which I still find very strange, because I still don't know how that possibly is an example that makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of people who watch, uh, as they call it now, the soup. I don't approve of that. That's disgusting. Okay. Literary treks. Each character had to go on a mission alone with Spock in a small craft, and that <laughs> led them all to decide to leave the Enterprise. I am not working with that guy alone ever again. <laughs> and introducing our newest show, Star Trek Axanar, the official podcast. I've been having a great time experimenting with what works, what doesn't work. You know, what does the Klingon D6 sound like? No one really knows. We don't know what an impulse manifold on a, on a, or a fusion reactor on a D6 sounds like. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. So check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream them from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. And before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary Trek stars to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. 
Um, Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week from classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Federation. Audible has something for everyone, including Red Shirts, a novel with three codas by John Scalzi, which is being turned into a movie now and everything. And it's narrated by Will Wheaton, of course. Here's the uh, synopsis for those people who may not be familiar. Ensign Andrew Dahl has just been assigned to the Universal Union capital ship Intrepid, flagship of the Universal Union since the year 2456. Life couldn't be better until Andrew begins to pick up on the facts that, one, every away mission involves some kind of lethal confrontation with alien forces, two, the ship's captain, its chief science officer, and the handsome lieutenant Kerensky always survive these confrontations, and three, at least one low-ranked crew member is sadly always killed. Not surprisingly, a great deal of energy below decks is expended on avoiding, at all costs, being assigned to an away mission. Then, Andrew stumbles on information that completely transforms his and his colleagues' understanding of what the Starship Intrepid really is, and offers them a crazy high-risk chance to save their own lives. And you can get this book for free since you're a listener to Trek FM. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is, so give it a try today. Catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and Trek.fm. And lastly, you can help us by donating to our website and getting some aliens. Well, illustrations of aliens, anyway. Illustrations by the one and only Toba Ushi, who does a lot of the artwork for our website. You can get them as badges or art prints. There's eight aliens to choose from. Just let us know what you would like and in which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring us the show each week. So that's it. Season 4, episode 13. We are halfway through this journey through the creators of Star Trek. Thoughts? Um, if we keep up on revising these things after their additions, we're not going to be able to end it. <laughs> Just so you know. You never know. We'll see. Maybe we will have commentary Trek Stars supplemental. Yeah, yeah. As always, you can find us at trek fm right here where we do this show and i also do standard orbit with drew and you can find us on our website commentarytrackstars.com where we do commentary track stars off topic with brandon or you can find us on twitter at comtrackstars or you can email us at comtrackstars at gmail.com all right well next week we will begin the second half of commentary trek stars by covering the last, as of right now, filmmaker to tackle the Star Trek franchise, and that is the one and only J.J. Abrams. <laughs>